0: Thank you for listening to this podcast of the J. Berg Wilk Learning Series for 2017-2018. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemidrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Is
1: everyone clear, by the way, on what... When someone says tribalism, what they mean—I think it's kind of been in the air a lot. This this word—is any, is anyone like? If you're not clear, then we can definitely go through it. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, it's 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 very important, I think, actually, because I think it's we've we've spoken a lot about tribalism, but on a very basic level, we kind of don't really know everything. That, is, uh, that it's about. I think, like, it's interesting because since I joined Dorit from hey, one of the biggest problems I've experienced, or once, one of the things that I've felt has been very wrong in my own uh, community, where I come from a uh, Hasidic Orthodox community, I, uh, was, was the level of tribalism, the level of uh, concern kind of for, for our own community over others, which is, so that's kind of like, I would say, a very basic and very introductory way of talking about tribalism. Right? But if we're really like going all the way back to actually... If you look at a dictionary, what is tri- how do we define tribalism? Tribalism is really just the function of, of what a tribe does. right? At, at its core, a tribe is... is uh, and, when, and when we're talking about tribe, that could mean a group. It could be any group of people. It could be a religious group. It could be a geographic community. Um, it's becoming less and less like that. It could be an online community... It could be um, a race of people living in a certain area that have kind of been forced into a tribe, in a sense. Um, there's just so many different ways of looking at it. Um, but the important thing to understand is that no matter what, if a tribe exists, tribalism will also exist. If a community exists, tribalism exists. Because part of the point of a tribe, really, is to you know, kind of protect its members, care for the interests of its members... Uh, and and these sorts of things. So it's kind of important that before we jump into all the negatives that I'm I'm definitely going to jump into about tribalism, it's important that we actually understand the framework in which tribalism works. Um, And guys, by the way, feel free to ask me any questions if you have any, or you can always throw up a a hand and I will have no problem uh, speaking with you guys. Um, The problem, though, that happens is that the more that uh, a community starts to see this tribalism as, its, as a value in and of itself, we start to see a lot of problems result from that, right? Um, because by definition, if you think about it, if a tribe is self-interested to a certain extent, that means it's going to be competing with other tribes, right? Um, there's been, uh, for example, there's been polls done where white evangelicals, uh, who you could be considered, could be considered a tribe but in their own sense, in a very broad sense, uh, actually see themselves as more uh, persecuted than Muslims in the United States. So the question is, how does that sort of thing happen? How does, how does kind of a misperception of that magnitude happen for such a big group of people? And I think that tribalism is a big part of that answer, because what happens is the more that a tribe focuses inward, the more that it starts to value itself over others to the point where sometimes they even have a misperception of reality. Um, and sometimes that ends up justifying a lot of inhumane uh, treatment of others, right? Um, it could be argued that a lot of the inhumane things we're seeing today are uh, a function of tribalism, where people are, they're spoken to in a way that is, is constantly reminding them that their tribe is being encroached upon. Their tribe is being attacked. Their tribe is in danger. And so because of that, they need to make other tribes uh, suffer. right? They need to, like, for example, one of, that's one of the biggest arguments for separating, and this is, I hope it's okay, I'm being uh, slightly political here, but yeah, for separating families at the border, you know, one of the big arguments has been that really, like, these, for the most part, we're trying to protect our country from gang members and, and these sorts of things. And so people will kind of reflexively follow something, even if they're unaware of all the nuances of how other people are suffering because of it, because they're thinking to themselves, well, I'm trying to protect my family and then by extension my tribe. I'm trying to protect, you know, it's, it's kind of that was kind of the whole basis of this idea of Make America Great Again. It's also the basis of any nationalist movement as well. Right? So uh, it's very easy to see how... Tribalism can start to become a sort of a sort of infection, a sort of a dangerous infection that can really hurt others. And I think it's really important to kind of dissect that. How does that happen? Okay. Um, so first of all, I would say that number one, there's a few there's a few key aspects to this uh, creating a tribe and then living that tribe's uh, experience out. Number one. And again, I'm focusing on the negative right now for a reason because eventually I'm going to try to also address the deeper aspects of this. But first of all, I think we need to at least acknowledge the problems that we face when we talk about about tribalism. So first of all, I think the first thing that happens if you join a tribe, if you join any tribe or community or anything, is you start to dehumanize the other, right? You start to dehumanize people who are not part of your tribe. And it's not something that's necessarily... uh, uh, purposeful, right? It's almost like if you think about it, the people that live in your, com- the people that you're in touch with throughout the day are almost by definition more human to you than the people halfway across the world, right? It's part of the reason that in general we are more concerned about what happens in America, even if it's, you know, not people in our own tribe. We, we are more concerned with the things happening here than all the th- horrible things that are happening all around the world, right? There's a lot of really bad things happening and, and we tend to get caught up in what's happening in America and that's partly just because that's just human nature, and it's also part of tribal nature. The more that we're a part of a nation, the more that we care about that nation, because that's its own definition of a tribe, again. Um, so But you can extrapolate that further, and you can say that if a tribe becomes so introvert, so focused inward, and so invested in its own self, it actually ends up becoming an even bigger problem where soon, if it goes far enough, that the people in that tribe can actually become the only definition of human, uh, at least in a a psychological level, uh, than for others. So, for example, this is part of the problem with, for example, white nationalism, when people are so entrenched in their definition, they actually, and if you go to the extreme enough, they actually believe that certain people are literally more human than others. And so it's really important that we kind of dissect that and understand that we all experience that to varying degrees, but then when we go to the extremes, it's incredibly dangerous as well. Um, Now this dehumanization then can lead to many other dangerous things. Like I said, it it leads to hurting others. Once someone isn't seen as human, it's much easier to hurt them. It's much easier to justify the things uh, that are being done to others because we see them as less human. And this, you know, we don't even have to look at current politics, we can look at human history has basically been filled with any conflict very often has to do with dehumanizing the other and dehumanizing people that we don't, that, we, that we're that in conflict with. And even, for example, if you looked at American propaganda during World War II, they, they actually used this to their advantage. They said, you know, they tried to make the Japanese look less human because that way it made it more justifiable and maybe it was actually very effective. Maybe we wouldn't have been as effective in war if we hadn't done that, you know, we had, you know, they had even derogatory terms like Jap and these sorts of things, so it's not something, again, that's limited to the the most extreme places, it's actually something that's used quite often, and has been maybe one of the most powerful uh, ways that people have uh, justified hurting others. It also leads to distrust, right? If you are entrenched in your tribe, if you're entrenched in your worldview and the people around you, then it, by definition you're going to be much more trusting of them as opposed to, like, especially if you see the other people as less human, you're going to trust the information and the, uh, and the knowledge of the people around you as opposed to the people outside of your tribe. Um, and that's, that can be incredibly problematic because if we're only getting information from one source, if you think about that, that's an incredibly limited amount of knowledge that means that we're kind of cutting ourselves off from world knowledge. And that, again, is kind of going to be true no matter what. You know, we're all, we all have to have a filter on to a certain extent. But it's important that, to, to be aware that when we're in a tribe that we see, see things that way. So whether we consider ourselves liberal or conservative or um, religious or secular, like no matter what, we're always kind of using our, tribes, uh, our tribe as a filter by which we take in or discard the information of others this is why now like we're seeing the very extreme versions of this where people say fake news and these sorts of things as almost as an uh, a kind of an offhand way of saying this thing is not for my tribe I don't trust it not that they necessarily will call it inhuman but they will it's very clear that we've kind of marked made a marking that these are the things I'll trust these are the things I won't trust okay so now this is my what I consider to be the most uh, the biggest sin of tribalism. Um, and I would call it kind of idol worship. Um, and there's a very extreme thing to say as a Jew, especially as a religious Jew, because that's like the thing that we, if there's one thing that we're intolerant of in Judaism, it is idol worship. So I, say it, I don't say it lightly, and I also wouldn't say it's necessarily literal, but I do think we need to understand the extent to which uh, this happens. And I would argue that what happens in a lot of communities is that tribalism itself becomes the most important value of that tribe. In other words, the power and the uh, preservation of the people of that tribe becomes its main concern. I mean, this is kind of where the idea of uh, tribalism really maybe come from, like the word itself comes from, because this is when we think of, uh, you know, when Afghanistan got invaded... And then it started to kind of fall apart. One of the things that we saw happen was a lot of war mongering tribes started to to fight for power. Really, all they existed for, to a certain extent, was power, right? Um, That's kind of tribalism at its worst, tribalism at its most dangerous. And again, this is something I've seen personally um, in my own community, and it's part of what's really painful for me. And what uh, AJ was speaking to before, it's the reason that uh, Tor Trump State was founded, I actually wasn't founded by me, but it was founded by a woman named Victoria Cook. But um, I joined, like many others, because what I felt was happening in my community was that a community of people who had been traumatized and scarred by a history of, uh, of horrific uh, actions had all of a sudden been so focused on preserving itself that it almost seemed to have lost a lot of its own values, especially in terms of relating to others. And um, it got to the point where, you know, me and my wife, like we, we just spoke the other day about how, you know, it's really hard for us. We really feel like we kind of have to build our own community. That's, that's how deep and, and dark we feel the tribalism has gotten. And so I think it's really important that we kind of acknowledge that no matter what, there is always a danger in building a tribe or a community or a nation, or any time there's a group of people coming together, these are all dangers that can happen. And so I'm kind of trying to take you along those, uh, those details before we go further. So, do anyone have any questions before I move on? Am I speaking too fast? You're following good? Yes.
2: Um, I'm curious about the distinction between a tribe and a nation because it seems to me it can cut in a manner that would be unexpected for instance, a tribe might be purely based on the health, either a two-party or a three-party mm-hmm. a party contract, right. where people simply agree, you know, here's the terms by which we're going to live. Yeah. And it's purely voluntary. And there nations out on earth, as we know, uh, sometimes have a bad history, you know, Our nation was transformed into one big military machine yeah. within a few years. And so I'm, I'm concerned, first of all, if there's a, a distinction, right? the is. and second of all, how the distinction happen?
1: Between like nations versus like a religion or something, you're saying?
2: Well, you can have all sorts of groups based on. Right. In Judaism, at the least, unlike many other religions, is reportedly based on the covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are reportedly, uh, you know, open to at least an influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little problem with the exit part. <laughs>
1: Than a nation in a
2: nation, which you're one of millions mm-hmm. you know, I have seen these discussions on the net recently where people are saying, Well, you're responsible for the children being torn from the arms of their parents. Well, I have thought <laughs> you know, I may really want to do something about it. Yeah. interaction between the group and the and dropping development uh sanction of course can
1: leave or be tossed out. Right. So I, I think actually it's interesting because so I on the one hand I totally agree. Obviously in a big industrial ni- industrialized nation right. is different than a uh a a uh, what's the word? Uh, like a Disparatic community uh, that spread and that has and it's diverse etc and that you can come you can go whatever in theory, right? But I would also argue actually that a lot of the di- di- Dynamics that we that you're describing can also be applied like the ones that you're applying to a nation for example could be applied also to some uh, Religious communities for example like uh, if you think of a place like Kyrgios uh, Joel uh, have you heard of that Kyrgios Joel? Um, so that's like one of the most, how do I put this in a, more, uh, uh, one of the strictest uh, Jewish communities. And leaving that community is in and of itself an incredibly traumatic process because by definition, the idea is that once you're in here, you're not supposed to be leaving, right? And so I'm not not trying to say that they're exactly the same. What I'm trying to say is um, that any time you get a a group of humans together um, that are, It could be covenants, it could be uh, geography, it could be borders. Um, There's still going to be those dynamics. There's still going to be, and they're going to be working in different ways based on the nature of that. And actually that's something I'm gonna get into more, but I think, I agree with you, but I also think it's also really important to see how these dynamics can happen in any community, and it kind of depends, these external factors just shape the way they relate to tribalism, in a sense. Is that?
2: Uh, yeah, that, that addresses that. Uh, there is, I suppose, we should do that also, um, called
1: lock-in. What's that? Lock-in. I'm sorry, lock lo- Lock. Lock, uh-huh.
2: And by I actually mean, you know, if, if I grow up from infancy in a certain community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And have certain customs that are different surrounding society. It's going to be difficult, for me to live. Yeah. For me, 50, 50, right, and totally. You, you start to lock in you,
1: you know, Right, exactly. So it could be psychological, it could be part of your just the fact that you're part of it, or it could be something that's more purposeful. But either way, it's kind of like they, some have learned that this is a dynamic and then they use that as well. Like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, so I totally agree with you. Thank you so much, it was really beautiful. Um, okay, so right now to me, if I stopped this this whole discussion right now, I, I, would, I would have thought that I had made a pretty, um, a relatively, in, in, in the amount of time that I have, a relatively strong case for getting rid of tribes. Like, it kind of sounds like tribes are the reason that we dehumanize others or, you know, we can see how many horrible effects come from tribalism, right? Um, I mean, I, I know that for me, for a long time, especially after the election, when I was getting, I was very confused about the Orthodox community, very upset. I started, I, I was really kind of constantly talking about the negatives of tribalism. But this was always intention tension with a reality, which is, like you brought up, Judaism is by definition tribal, Right? It's covenantal, yeah. But at the end of the day, we're still a tribe. And not only that, we literally got started by being formed as 12 different tribes. I mean, that's, that's the word that's used. So it's kind of hard to say, uh, if I'm a proud Jew and I identify with so much in Judaism, am I, am I saying that I shouldn't be Jewish anymore? Am I saying that, the, that the tr- Judaism as a tribe shouldn't exist, that we should just be, it should be a set of beliefs? I mean, I think that this is, we're living in a state of, uh, of conflict, and I actually think that this is something you can see playing out in the Jewish community itself, since, especially since the Holocaust, but, but really throughout Jewish history, which is this constant dance between the question of, should we be a tribal, inward focus, or should we be, assim, quote-unquote, assimilating, right? That's a word that we hear quite a bit. Uh, especially, I work in the Jewish nonprofit world. That's like uh, it's kind of like talking about Krypton or something. Like it's really, uh, you know, it's the it's the dangerous, you know, that we're going to assimilate. But if you think about it, by everything that we've spoken about, assimilation sounds really great because it means that we're starting to think about others. We're starting to humanize. By, by definition, assimilation means that we're humanizing other people um, because we start to identify with them and then and then join them and also bring our own ideas into their into their world. So. Um, so I think that's that's a question I was wrestling with. You know, it's it's interesting. Even our even our prayers are centered around tribes. Like on uh, holidays, we have the kohen uh, goes and gets, you know, is he gets uh, washed by the levy, and then he gets up and he does a special prayer. And this is us passing on tribal tra- tradition, right? It's like very literal in our in our lives. Um, and so it's it's a very interesting question. How do we, how do we how do we balance all that?
3: Yeah, I know some of your background is coming from you know the East Coast, from the Hasidic background, and knowing some of the insular and the if I think it sociological pathological issues going on in some of the ultra before World War II, were they really that insular, and did they really exhibit that level of pathology of World War II? I had heard that this is a a, something that's only emerged in
1: the last 67 years, among those two years? So I'd say yes and no, like in the sense that uh, Haredism and the way that we think of it, of course, has been very much shaped by, by recent history. Um, and yeah, and even in a, in a sense, it could be argued that when Hasidic ideology started um, that it was, it was almost kind of to combat that to a certain extent. Um, but I would also say that on the other hand, in terms of tribalism, we've always kind of wavered between between assimilation and tribalism. And we've always kind of been, our story as as Jews has always been, you know, the Purim story is about how we were assimilating too much and how that brought destruction upon us. And like the Hanukkah story is about how we remembered to hold on to our tribalism, right? So so it's interesting. And and actually even the story of how Hasidus started is one in which... Uh, a lot of the negative aspects of tribalism, where, for example, a this is not something I mentioned earlier, really, but a good example is where a leader is uh, revered over the common people. Like the Hasidic world, to a certain extent, was combating that. It was combating its own the the some of the poisonous aspects of tribalism in its own world. So, so I would say yes and no, and also I should mention that I grew up secular, so I'm kind of coming at it from both angles. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I would say, and I think that's kind of especially for this discussion, but in general, I think, you know, when we talk about these, and we tend to be like, well, this is the problem, and and this is where it started. It's actually, no, this is something we've always struggled with. Um, And so that actually brings me, that's a great segue to what I was just about to say, um, because I actually was bringing examples I was about to bring, which is that um, if you think about it, Judaism is actually, um, a big part of the Jewish story is not just that we've been tribal, it's that our tribalism is why we survive, right? And this kind of reverses a lot of the things we've been thinking about. But if you think about it, the Hanukkah story, the Purim story, like so many of our stories are really essentially saying, like, uh, like for example, the Hanukkah story is a great example of this. Where in theory we were being told, like, you don't need to be tribal anymore. Just join us. Just become one of us, and you know, give up, give up, you know. Your Torah—that's all you have to give up. Is just give up your Torah and then join us. We're not. We're, we won't. We won't be violent towards you. You just have to join us. And the Hanukkah story is about how we refused to do that. We refused to assimilate. Right. I mean, that's one of the important parts of the narrative. It's not the only one, but, but. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting. It means that. If you think about it, a lot of our stories, even even in modern times, if we're talking about the story after the Holocaust, so much of our story has been, they tried to kill us, you know, but look at us, we're still here. And that's why we need to make sure we don't assimilate. Because, you know, even in Germany, we tried to assimilate, it was dangerous, it created problems. And, and, and honestly, like, um, you can also create a direct line from, from all these these problems, to the actual creation of Israel. To a certain extent, the creation of Israel was, a, was an act of self-preservation marked by tribalism, right? We understood that no other country was going to actually protect us. We, especially at that time, it was kind of become... It was uh, to secular Jews. To, to not, not to, it wasn't a religious identity thing. It was just more of a tribal uh, reality that they realized, okay, no one else is actually going to protect us. We need to make our own space so we can preserve ourselves. It wasn't this, there wasn't some deep idea behind it. It was just about... We're a nation without a, without a nation. We're a nation that doesn't have borders, that doesn't have an army, that doesn't have anyone to protect us. Everyone else has their, their nation to protect them. We don't have that. And because of that, we're being killed constantly, we're being persecuted, we're being uh, at the hands of pogroms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you think about it, actually, the story of Israel itself is an act, is, is really just a continuation of our biblical story. Um, not, not in the sense of just the, the religious aspect, but in the tribal aspect, in terms of the self-preservation. Okay, so now we're like starting to understand that there's a little bit more to this tribalism thing maybe than, than we thought at first, or at least this is, you know, the more that I thought about it, the more I started to understand. It. Oh, wow, okay. So this, tri- this tribal stuff is actually, it's actually not just woven into our belief system. It's actually on a very practical level how we have been able to function for so long. There wouldn't be a Judaism today if we didn't, hold on to aspects of tribalism, including some of the negative things that I described before. Right? You had to have, for example, Jews had to really trust their own information system in order to reject the information system of, of Greece, which was an incredibly powerful one. It's one that affects the entire world today. And yet somehow Jews had to trust their Torah still had the truth that they needed. I think it's also really important and I, that we take this to a wider We take this wider. This isn't just a Jewish thing, right? Um, Think about just in America. uh, How many groups have been formed by minority groups, by oppressed groups, by marginalized groups, by non-marginalized groups in order to advance their own interests? And I mean that in the most positive way, right? The NAACP, to a certain extent, it could be argued, is a tribal organization. It's an organization put together by black people for black people because there was an understanding at some point, probably for a long time, that at the end of the day, no matter how sympathetic people are to a minority group, that no one is going to be as invested in their survival and their health and and even understanding who they are than the tribe themselves, right? That's kind of essentially what the idea of of tribalism is in, in the positive sense at its core, right? That, that when we form groups together of our own uh, of our own volition, we can advance our own interests in a way that's actually, we, we actually tend to, when we look at examples like that, um, when we look at examples like um, there's an organization that I'm inspired by these days called Megente, which has done incredible actions to fight against um, the separation of families, this is a, uh, Hispanic-led organization, right? It's not a coincidence that every single time you look at the advancement of smaller minority or not even smaller groups, the, the the fight for women to vote uh, has been led by women. If you have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen images um, from the suffragette movement in Britain. I mean, these are incredible images of women in the in the 20s getting arrested, and they look. It's so tough and amazing getting around. You should Google it as soon as you're done here because uh, it's so awesome. And, but that's an act of tribalism. They're, working, they're, they're saying men are not going to do this for us. We've got to, we've got to, to bother men. And to, we've got to completely disrupt the, the tribe of men so that the tribe of women, again, I'm talking in a very loose definition, is finally treating us with the respect and the equality that we deserve. Right? This is the same dynamic, again, that Jews have used in order to, number one, preserve themselves, but number two, to live out a Jewish life, to live out their beliefs, to live out their covenant. Right? That's kind of what we're all about, as our covenant. We're, we're, we're about not just preserving ourselves. We're about living out who we are. And we can only do that when we're tribal. The tribalism protects whatever we're about. Right? So, so now we're seeing that actually the while tribalism has a lot to do with power dynamics, at the end of the day, if, are you going to... Like, I, I could never... You could never go to some someone who's anti-tribal, I think, is in a sense, to, to use a very loaded word, is very privileged. Because it means that they have never had to rely on their tribe to protect them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you, they've never had to think. They've never had to go... Like, I remember once, uh, in 2012, I wrote an article about... Um, what was it about? <laughs> I wrote a horrible article. <laughs> and the title of it, it was much more nuanced than the title sound. It was kind of meant to bring a spiritual idea, but it was kind of like a clickbaity title for better or for worse. And for the worse, it was called Jews Do Control the Media. And <laughs> yes, right? Uh, so already we're getting reaction. But the truth was, what happened was that it didn't matter what the content of this article was, white nationalists loved this, they were obsessed with this article. And they became so obsessed that they started to follow me uh, on, on the internet. Like they started to, they shared uh, images. I had just had a daughter like six months before. They were showing images of my daughter. They were showing images of me. They were, showing, they were talking about what neighborhood I lived in. And it was really scary. And this was the first time in my life I started being like, oh, okay. So <laughs> I think I have to talk to like the ADL about this. I have to t- like I, I, I never had to, to really go. And, and I actually was the first time I was living in a Jewish community for the first time in my life. And um, I felt kind of safe. Because besides all of a sudden understanding, oh, this is why the ADL exists, (laughs) Um, I also understood, oh, thank God I'm around all these Jews who are actually in Crown Heights. has a whole story about how the Jews have been working to protect themselves for better or for worse from others. Um, And I felt very safe as much as I felt very scared because my tribe, I knew, would take care of me, or I had, a, I had a feeling would, and I knew that if things got bad enough, there were resources that I could use and uh, that, w- that would protect me, that would at least help me uh, through this. Um, and even just having the emotional support of other Jews was nice when, when it think- seems like, uh, it was like David Duke was writing about me. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so we're going to move on from that part. Um, so, <laughs> um, so tribalism has value, right? It um, provides a framework where the voiceless can have a voice and the powerless can have power. Uh, it, it provides a home for people that don't have a home. And, and really, honestly, if you think about it, if we've, for example, if you look at the example of uh, blacks who have fought for equality, if you look at women who have fought for equality, if you look at any minority group, especially in America, there's so many amazing examples of that, um, you see how tribalism has changed the world for the good. And the bet. So how do we hold that? How do we, now we have like a certain kind of tension that we have to resolve. And I think that Judaism, this is my, this is like the, what this is all leading towards, is that I think that Judaism is one of the most beautiful models of how to resolve that tension.
0: Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.ValleyBaitMidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning.
1: Because as was pointed out before, uh, no tribe is the same, right? At the end of the day, every tribe is different. Um, Even in a tribe, you can have multiple tribes, and they can all have different values. They can have different ways of approaching the world. So we have to understand, so there, there are obviously, there are some tribes that take tribalism too far. There are some tribes that don't. There are some tribes that don't take it far enough and then they end up uh, losing who they are. Um, so where is that happy media? Where is, that, uh, where is the truth in there? How can something be both tribal and not poisonous? Um, because okay, it's very easy to talk about oppressed groups, but what happens, for example, when a group like Jews all of a sudden have their own nation and all of a sudden it's incredibly strong and all of a sudden they have to contend with the fact that they're no longer as oppressed as they used to be. Or how about if they're in a community like the United States which thank God so far <laughs> has been very good to them relatively speaking to, the, to their entire uh, history as a group of people. All of a sudden there are these Jewish organizations with all this money that can help people, that can this, that can that. We' we're no longer you know, we're, we're, we're much more powerful in a sense than we've ever been. So how do we contend with that? Because at a certain point, that uh, need for, for a voice will hopefully become fulfilled. So what happens when that happens? Right? Yes.
0: One of the um, typical moral commitments of a tribe is to prioritize tribal members over non members. Right. Um, and so I wonder how is both the particular lists, as a positive tribalist, and as a universalist, you balance that there's a clash. Let's say in the political realm, hypothetically, there was something that was not as good for the Jews, but good for humanity. Yeah. You know, how do we in a good tribalism navigate that?
1: It's a great question. And I'm going to transition to it, is that OK? Awesome. It might get a little bit later. Okay. Tell me if I haven't addressed okay. it later, yeah. OK? Thank you so much. Amazing, perfect question. Um, Okay. So I think that Judaism uh, is one of it, especially when it was created, um, but I would argue even now, at least if we talk in terms of belief, Judaism uh, is a very unique, uh, the Jews are a very unique tribe um, because we have coded into our tribe both of these realities self interest and universalist universalism right uh, so first I want to just address that before we get into how do we resolve that but I think it's actually really important to understand that Judaism itself has actually made that such a big uh, reality for us right um, so the first aspect is tribal uh, you know there's but, but it's also really important that we understand what that means because even within tribalism there are ways in which we live that out, right? And I think one of the things that Judaism does is that it forces you, even within your own tribe, to go outside of your, of your comfort zone, right? We're told to protect the orphan and the widow. Uh, we're told to care for the foreigner. We're told, you know, these are kind of these broad ethical statements that... Um, it's funny we've like uh, at least in my world have, have kind of been downplayed to a certain extent, and obviously in others it's almost can be their defining traits in terms of what they believe. But I think, um, but it's interesting. No matter what, like we're 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 supposed to uh, like it's codified that every seven every uh, on a regular basis we're supposed to be um, like completely forgiving people of debt. Um, right after the Jews were taken out of Egypt, like, it's funny because we tend to be very critical of the fact that it seems like God is actually commanding us to have slaves, whereas if you look at the context of it, in my opinion, and in other rabbis' opinions, that the actual idea was that God was kind of commanding Jews to start, number one, treating their slaves humanely, and then, yeah, kind of taking them on the, into a space where it would eventually not exist. But the point being That over and over and over again, there's a constant reminder by Hashem that we're supposed to be treating uh, the people that are often the least seen within a tribe as the most important people. They're they're more important than than our finances, right? That's why we give 10%, we're supposed to give 10% to charity. It's It's again why we forgive debt, which seems crazy if you think about that. Um, it's why we're supposed to let, you know, if someone has a, 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 a farm or whatever or they're growing crops that they're just supposed to let it lay for a year to let people just go and take the food that's on the ground. I mean, these are things that, that within tribalism are things we tend not to think about because often if we're talking about a really uh, poisonously tribal society, they're not concerned with those things, right? They're concerned with the, the, the hierarchy of leadership, right? They're concerned with... With who's on top and who's on bottom, they're concerned with, with and, and the people within it are always are kind of poisonously concerned with staying, in that in that model, right? So it's actually, so first I think it's really important that we understand that the tribalism itself has been infused with a care for others, and with a care for uh, not like it's it's actually um, been codified that we are not selfish uh, within a tribal context that we're constantly giving to the least fortunate in our tribe. Okay, so there's that aspect of it. And again, I'm going to weave this together soon, but I want to just also point out the second aspect, which is that we're supposed to be a priest to the nations, right? This is like a very big concept in Judaism, and many people have different definitions of what it means. Some people emphasize it more, some people emphasize it less. But at the end of the day this is a huge part of Judaism, that we're supposed to be a light to the nations, an example to the nations, a priest to the nations, and we're supposed, like, the idea being that, as I pointed out, Judaism doesn't just exist for itself, right? But what does that actually mean? What is it trying to pass on to those other tribes? I used to think that the prophets really only got pissed off at the Jews, (laughs) and I actually ended up finding out that there was a, a, I think it was Amos, I'm sure, and there were others, of course, that actually were screaming at other, uh, literally other tribes around the Jews about their inhumanity, about the way they, they dealt badly with, with other people, with, their down, with the downtrodden in their territory, um, specifically these issues, while they were also yelling at Jews about this. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of a microcosm, maybe not the yelling part, that is a, but I do think that's a microcosm of what it means for Jews to be priests to the nations. First of all, what that means is, number one, that obviously we care about other communities. But number two, that there's not, it's not just a general, it's not a generalized concept. We actually want to spread a very specific message to these groups. And and actually what's fascinating about that is that we're not being evangelicals, right? We're not saying, you need to be Jewish. That's actually not what we're interested in. What we're interested in is spreading... Uh, a little something deeper or something uh, more universal than that, which is caring for the downtrodden, caring for others, caring for the people that we tend not to think about very often, forcing ourselves to start thinking about the people that we tend to not, uh, to try to, to not think about and to make sure that the voiceless are given a voice. Now, this can only happen if we are not tribal in only in the sense of self-preservation, but if we're tribal in the sense of, number one, so first of all, how do we actually even pull that off, right? To be able to pull that off, number one, you actually have to be living out those values first, right? That's kind of one of the universally accepted ideas of how, how do you change others is first to be a model yourself, right? This is, and I would argue that this is kind of the beginning of answering your question, which is that, Actually, first, living it out within our own tribe is actually, um, in a sense, the number one priority only because, well, obviously because of its own value, that, the value of doing that, but also because if we don't do that, we'll never be effective priests to the nations because if we're telling other people to treat their poor well or whatever, we're, telling, we're trying to spread this message, but we're not treating our own in that respect, in that way, then we've already lost, right? So I think it's actually interesting. I think that's why, if you look at the story of Jews for so long, so much of it does sound tribal, because until we get our house in order, it's much harder to live out the universalist concepts that we believe in. And I think that's why uh, we're constantly spoken to in a tribal way, and I think that's part of the reason, actually, that we've misconstrued, Uh, tribalism, to mean only caring about Jews. Because the truth is, it isn't, like, just like a family, at the end of the day, a family uh, can only be so effective at helping, like, you you can't take your family out to volunteer at a soup kitchen if your family doesn't talk to each other, and if they don't care for each other. The only way you're ever going to be able to get them to go out and help others as a group, if you want to do it as a group, is to first make sure that your family is healthy and taken care of. And that your most vulnerable, smallest child is fed, and, and cared for, and prioritized in a sense, but not prioritized in the way in, in in a sense of that you're going to hurt others to protect that child, unless you have to for self-preservation. I mean, that's actually also codified in the Jewish law, right? That we we only we we are allowed to quote-unquote murder if we're doing it for self-preservation, and I think that actually, what, that, what we end up finding is that then that's part of why tribalism is one of the most valued... Uh, it's, one, it's incredibly valued in the Jewish world and always will be. Because, again, without that first, no change can actually happen. But it's really important that we also remember that when we do that, we're number one, we're just like any hopefully, moral person is not just trying to, or any family is not, they're not just trying to exist to, to live out these values for themselves, and they're not just trying to preach to others, they're trying to model for others how to live. If you look at Jonathan Sachs, is it, do you guys know Jonathan Sachs? He's, I love Jonathan Sachs, and um, I just will never forget reading how he was saying that the Jews, like, the light to the nations really means or that we're a model to the nations. First, we are building a society. The the structure in which God said to build a society was not something that we're just supposed to keep and hide for ourselves. It's something that we're supposed to live out fully and then show to others and then model for others and then also be very open with others about. Now we can take this even a step further. If we're modeling that within our own tribe and we want other tribes to model that, What if we took it even, what if we zoomed out even further and we understood that tribes, in a sense, are analogous to people? There are some tribes that are more powerful. There are some tribes that are less powerful. There are some tribes that are treated well by larger tribes, and there are some, most smaller tribes are not treated well by larger tribes. That, in a sense, the ideas of caring for the orphan and the widow can become analogous to how to the way we should be dealing, not just with people within our tribe, not just in terms of how we teach other tribes, but also how do we relate to other tribes as a tribe? And I think this is where we get to the core of resolving a lot of the tension. Because we're not just talking about spreading ideas, we're not just talking about living our lives in the right way, but we're talking about living our are making sure that our tribe exists in a way that it is actually living it out in relationship to other tribes in the same way. And that, I think, is the ultimate model of how we will be a light to the nations. In other words, when we stand up for the less powerful tribes, when we fight for minority rights, when we fight, and it sounds, it's, it's funny because when I, and transitioning into saying, all of a sudden I'm like, oh wait, I'm getting political. And then I'm like, wait a second. But this is actually Jewish belief. Like when we're fighting for the downtrodden of the world, we're living out Jewish values because we're living it out in a, in, in a way that we couldn't have imagined before. We all of a sudden have this, like I mentioned, we're in a different world now. We have a power that we didn't have before. Where there are people, I think for Jews it's very hard, even now, it's very hard for Jews to imagine themselves as being more powerful than other groups. It's, there's something coded in ourselves. If you think about it, only you know, a, you know, a, genera- a little bit more than a generation ago, we were being gassed and burned and all these things. So it's, 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 we were so traumatized that it's hard to imagine that we actually have as much power as we do. And, um, and so it's really important that we actually acknowledge that because if we don't, then that's when the poisonous tribalism starts to take effect because we're not thinking about how much we really could do as a collective. So my point being that when we, first of all, number one, focus on our tribe and make sure, and I mean that in, in, in the way that like, you know, if you, you probably hear this a lot these days, you know the term self-care, right? You can't actually, you know, <laughs> I'm throwing out all these buzzwords today. Um, but the idea being that like you can't, it, it's a really actually, I think, a very holy concept. You can't actually help others until you take care of yourself, right? Um, or at least, you're not going to be as effective. You should always be trying to help others, but if you're doing it to the point where it means that you're completely breaking down and unable to actually help them in an effective manner, then you're really not accomplishing much. So actually, I think, at its most basic, number one, Judaism is tribal. And that's okay. As long as we remember, number two, that the tribalism itself is meant to be compassionate and caring and take us personally outside of our own comfort zone and helping the downtrodden, the ones who are less fortunate than ourselves. And number three, we remember that that tribalism is then meant to be an example to others and to to literally be taught to others in the sense of, yes, look at how we're modeling taking care of our less fortunate. We're not going to try to make you part of our tribe, but we're going to try to talk to you about what is a healthy and good and moral tribe. And we hope that you will take that with you and we hope to gain from you as well. I think that's another side, that's a whole other discussion, but I had to throw that in. And lastly, that if we're truly living this out in the way that it's meant to, that we take it from just like the tribal uh, dynamics, force us to take it uh, outside of our personal uh, experiences of selfishness in, in a positive sense, and force us to actually look outside and care for the people within our community, In the same sense, our tribe needs to be pushed to care about other tribes, not just in terms of how they deal within their own tribes, but how we as a tribe deal with with them and how we make sure that we're constantly working to preserve and to to preserve this ethic where where we're always, always, always prioritizing the... Uh, literal or metaphorical widows and orphans of the world and the foreigners of the world, from the tyrants of the world. So, anyway, thank you so much. Um, if, did you, you want to ask a question again? Yeah, I just want yeah, to..: uh, okay.
0: in the organizing world, we talk yeah. about how we shouldn't be opposed to power, mm-hmm. that we want to organize and build power and use power for good. Yeah. Um, for, for those efforts, so I wonder if one of the ways that I, I, one of the things I think you're saying is that that good tribalism enables us to organize and collect power that can then be not used not only to preserve one's oneself but also to advocate and support other um, uh, other groups and those who are groupless. Uh, so my question is, <clears throat> do you think post-ethnic or post-tribal Judaism? Is a fair alternative that can still achieve that? Or do you think the fervency, once you lose the tribalism, is so lost and the power is lost that essentially we not only would not be able to take care of ourselves in a post-ethnic post-tribalism, but it wouldn't be a force for other groups as well?
1: Well, I think I think um, it's a complicated answer. I think that, first of all, I do think it can be incredibly effective. We we see how much um, I'm trying to remember your word. Post-tribal, is that post-ethnic? Post-ethnic Jewish groups have done incredible work, but the truth is, and so I don't want to diminish that one bit. I I don't think it would be fair, and I don't think it would be um, accurate to say that what that they haven't accomplished. Like it's almost the opposite. Actually, I would argue that that the tribal Jews are struggling to figure out how to act like them, right? Um, But I would say that there's an issue of sustainability. Um, just like, you know, this is kind of the question of assimilation and, and these sorts of things. Is Okay, so it can work. It can work for a generation. And, and, part, and part of what's interesting, is actually, is that, you know, it's interesting because I interact a lot more with these sorts of um, folks now than I, than I used to as, as a religious Jew, I'm saying. And one of the things I find fascinating is that a lot of their energy has been based off of the tribalism of their parents or their grandparents, like, it's kind of very much using that that tribal energy that existed before, and I think the theory is that, again, like, if we let go of our tribalism, we can be more effective at doing good, and I actually think that is true, they do accomplish far more good than others do for others, but again, I think that Ultimately, just like if you don't care enough for yourself, and I'm talk, you know, again, I'm talking metaphorically, if you don't care enough for yourself, eventually you're going to run out of steam. Eventually you're not going to have the energy to actually help others. It's going to be very hard to carry on a legacy if you don't hold on to an aspect of tribalism, at the very least. So. If I could respond I, I don't know
3: that we have a control of those post because that's just, mm. a, that's just a cultural direction. How are we defines, you know, in the definitions, the categories are changing with the younger generation. It just is, it's changing across America with new, you know, uh, uh, definitions of race and identity. And I don't think really we have control over how ethnicity is just by the wayside, but how we draw the boundaries, as you were saying, is very interesting. How do we balance inclusivism with, the, as you were saying, the necessity of maintaining some tribalism right. because of the benefits. And, and, and you talk very generally, which is really interesting, but the specifics, you know, the devil's in the detail. Yeah. I mean, how do you do that when you talk about, I, I just came back from Los Angeles where I was, you know, at some communities, like Ikar, I was, in car and was at uh, 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 that kind of, kind of shame in Hollywood where it's got to be 40% non-Jewish these communities and I think the San Francisco JCC is more than seventy percent. Seventy percent. And so the you know, I met the rabbi at that time, sheen, she's like from a, a Jewish Gentile parent um, um, parents. And she says, but we want this, and that flies in the face of people like Stephen Cohen, you know, up in New York, is so anti in marriage. How do you balance the details of inclusivity and yeah. and, and maintain core tribalism?
1: I agree I agree um, I think that's just one second. I'll, I'll, That's part of why uh, one, I actually do keep it general because I think it's important to understand that this isn't I would never say to that community that they shouldn't be living out that way what I would be saying is that there are dynamics of tribalism that it's important for us to use and to grasp so if they are using the tools that come with tribalism to create a community like that, and they're thinking of it in a sustainable way, then that's great. And I think that that's, that's different, obviously, than an Orthodox community would do it. But it doesn't mean that one is more correct than the other on a very basic level in terms of just sustainability and the ability to make change. Um, it could be argued, again, that, you know, I, again, I'm constantly pointing out that the details of the Orthodox community make it very hard, at least, especially in the Haredi community, to, to care about others. So, so, yeah, I think that's a, a question we're gonna have to, we're, that it's, I would, to a, to a certain extent, I would argue that it's the question that we struggle with, maybe most of all, as, as Jews, and maybe as, as humanity. Um, but I'll give you maybe one or two examples that might um, help explain my, my own experience with this. Um, we spoke about Tor Trump's hate, how much time do we have? Uh, this to last. Oh, okay. Um, when we started Tor Trump's hate, it was funny because at the time, I joined this group because I was so upset at the tribalism in the Jewish community, right? And then I realized halfway, you know, like a year later, I'm like, wait a second, we're forming a tribe, right? Uh, Like we're creating a group of people that like, for example, we protect each other because on Facebook... On Facebook, it sounds silly, but on Facebook, it used to be that or th- like, people like us would go and post something on Facebook that were concerned about Trump or something, and we would get barraged. Like, I got, I got barraged so badly for a while because I'm also very pro-Israel, and there's kind of an overlap with the, the two. And, um, and I just remember getting, like, re- it was very hard. I felt like a lone wolf, right? And then to all of a sudden have this group of people that would be, like, uh, backing me up And it it, it, it literally felt tribal. It felt like I had this army that suddenly would come in and would be like, we got your back, you know? And it felt great. It was also, I could see the destructive elements of that as well. Um, But the point being that we were starting to form and work and think about, okay, our community is not doing this in the way that we feel it should be. So how do we form a group that that balances those two? And I think that... um, for us, it was really, like, I think that um, for us, it's about kind of forming it from the ground up, kind of understanding these dynamics and these weaknesses and these strengths and, and trying to build that. Um, but I think my, my, my point is really that um, that these that with, with, with that example, part of what happened was a realization that uh, we can actually use tribalism to fight poisonous tribalism. That was kind of our, our goal with that. Um, And it's actually been like, for for example, and one more example is that we started this action called the Moral Mincha because after uh, a certain, does everyone know what Mincha is? It's like the afternoon prayer in in Judaism. And um, so after the Orthodox Union kind of celebrated Jeff Sessions, basically the day after family started getting separated, we started this action where we would go and pray in front of the Orthodox Union's offices. Every week, I think we just had our last one uh, yesterday, actually, and it was interesting because part of that was about using this tribe that we had built to send a message that we don't think that self-preservation at the expense of others is a good value. Um, now again, this is not solving all the problems in the world, but I would argue that it's in these little details, again, that we're, I think that we're start, at least in my experience, I'm starting to find my own answers. And I think that others, hopefully, I think that once we are thinking in this framework, we can start to address it. Both, you know, we can start to see how we're lacking in one area and need to grow in the other and how I think ultimately any Jewish community is going to be always balancing that in the details. so, Amazing. Thank, yeah. you so much. Thank you.